I have a message for you that I think the Lord has given me. I want to share a couple things as I start. Number one, Ken and I, as you probably know, I've served as the chair of the elders for a number of years, and Ken and I developed a very deep friendship and relationship. And uh, we'd typically meet every Tuesday morning from about 9 till 10. We'd talk about everything, of course, about ministry and about the church and what we're going to be doing and about our personal lives, and we kind of are accountability partners too, and just everything that good friends would share. Now, you know, and I know, and everybody else knew that Ken was talkative. He could say a few words. And I'm not the least talkative person you ever met either. So when we got together, it was like, wow, wildfire. And it was like iron sharpening iron. Occasionally, and this was only very occasionally, maybe once or twice, three times at the most in the almost seven years he was here, in one of those meetings I might say, Ken, I thought maybe you could have left that last story off the message Sunday. It still would have been good. It would have saved little time. I didn't do that very often. And he would say to me, well, you're, maybe you're right. I said, by the way, you and Lois are the only two people who can say that to me. <laughs> now, I told you that story because today I might violate what I advised him. I'm not sure how long I'm going to talk. I'm going to try to go through it efficiently and effectively. I hope it doesn't take real long. But I have some things I want to share with you. So I, I suspect there are things that you, you know already, you follow Jesus. But most of them are going to come as points from this passage Bill just read for us of the story, the raising of Lazarus and of the ministry of Jesus, teaching with his disciples, mourning with Mary and Martha, and then performing that incredible miracle. I dare say, I have, I'm going to run through that story with you step by step. And like Ken, I have 10 things I want to share with you. Points of truth from that story that I think can be helpful for us in this time of sadness and grieving today as a church family. Some of them will be longer than others, those points of truth. So don't gauge the first or second one by all of them. They will be of different lengths. So bear with me. It start, The story starts saying Jesus and his disciples were not in the area near Jerusalem where Lazarus lived. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived in Bethany. It's a village on the opposite hill where the Mount of Olives is, and it's about two miles, two miles from the city of Jerusalem. I've had the privilege of being there. Some of you have as well. And um, he got word that Lazarus was sick, sent from his sisters. Their expectation would be that Jesus might hurry there to touch him and heal him. 
But he didn't do that, did he? It says he actually waited two days. He heard this, and he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it says, and he waited two days. That seems strange. Um, and he said to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory and so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Well, we know Lazarus did die, but that was not the end of the story. We know that too. Everything Jesus did in those two days of waiting before he left was deliberate and purposeful the whole episode is recorded for us because it's about God's glory and it's about Jesus receiving glory too. The disciples, when he said, this story is for God's glory, they didn't know how this story would end. They might have wondered what that was going to look like, but they didn't yet know. Jesus did know. Application number one. That should remind us that God does not make mistakes. He always knows what he is doing and why he is doing it. I don't understand now why God took Pastor Ken home to heaven in the early hours of this past Monday. It seems very untimely to me. There was so much more he wanted to do here. It leaves his family grieving. I know Holly and Jesse are here today. Thank you for It leaves us sad, hurting, perhaps some of you even questioning God. So I want to remind you what you know about our loving Heavenly Father. He doesn't do these things by mistake. He doesn't do them to hurt us. He does them for his own glory and ultimately for our good as well. It may be that we will never know while we live in this life why he took Ken now. That's true when you think of Jen Good. That's true when you think of other people who've gone on seemingly too soon. We may know when we get to heaven, but I suspect when we get there, it won't really matter anymore. We don't know the why, but I know this. We can trust our God. He knows, but he doesn't always let us know right away. Pastor Kenneth completed his race. And God said, come home. Back to the account. 
So Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. They were not in Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem. North of that was Samaria and then the Galilee. We're not told exactly where he was, but he was, he was at least two days' walk from Judea. From, we know that because he waited two days, and when he got there, it was four days he'd been in the tomb, so at least two days' walk. The disciples immediately raised the alarm. They said, Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews, meaning the Jewish leaders, tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? Jesus then talked a little bit about daylight and walking in the sun and night, nighttime and not being able to see to walk in the sun. And those verses are a little bit, we're not, they're not easily understood. But the commentaries I read would seem to suggest that what he was suggesting was he had work to do and he needed to do it while it was daylight. He knew his nighttime of going through the passion was coming soon and he needed to complete his earthly ministry. And he undoubtedly knew this wasn't the time he was going to be taken. But he wasn't hanging around there in case they'd try to speed it up. So Jesus heads to Bethany despite the risks involved to continue his daylight work of ministry. In this case, his good friends, Mary and Martha, sister of Lazarus. This is application number two. I love what Pastor Jordan wrote in the See a Sunday email on Friday. I hope you saw it. I'm going to read you an excerpt from what he wrote. He said, this has been a particularly hard week in the life of our church. Our beloved pastor went home to be with his Savior just a few short days ago. While we grieve his departing, we celebrate the life of a faithful pastor, mentor, shepherd, and friend. During this time, we don't scatter or lose hope. Instead, we gather together to grieve, remember, laugh, and celebrate our only hope in life and death, Jesus Christ. So true, he went on to add. If there's one thing we know about Pastor Ken, it's that he would want us to gather together and celebrate Jesus. So we'll take time to grieve for sure, because this is a hard thing. And we will also remember that while Ken's race is complete, Ours is still going on, and we must still be about the mission of following Jesus and helping others to know and follow Jesus. So now, just so you'll know a little bit about what our going forward will look like in the short term here and now for our Bethel staff and elders, let me tell you a few things about how things we Things will be handled, so you're not in dark about that. In the immediate future, I don't know if that'll be weeks or a few months, whatever, but in the immediate future, Pastor Jordan and I'll share the privilege of preaching. We may have some others to fill the pulpit from time to time as well. 
And our intention is to pick up with the study of Luke, where Pastor left off last week. I'll also try to step up a little more to help Jordan and Linda and Judy and the staff in making sure things are ordered, organized and happening. Jordan will continue to serve as pastor of youth and family, in which he's doing a great job. But he'll also step up to share some of the pastoral ministries to our church family, as will our elders. We have 14 elders. We had 15. All, our, all of the elders are pastors. Two of them were full-time pastor elders, paid, Ken and Jordan. But we have 13 other good men as well, dedicated to the Lord, willing to serve and help shepherd this flock. And they'll step up too, and we'll try to minister to the family. Um, the rest of you, I call on you to continue to use the spiritual gifts God has given you to serve in this body, to edify one another, to be with one another. Do the work of the ministry God has gifted you and called you to do. I know you will. You've already been doing it. If you want to make leaders aware of something that needs our attention, you can let Linda Parsons, our church secretary, know. You could call Jordan. You can call me. We want to hear from you. Your questions, your suggestions, we're happy to hear them. So this is for the immediate future. We don't know what it'll look like exactly longer term, but here's what is going to happen, Lord willing. This coming week, the elders will begin to meet. We have decisions to make. We want to make sure we help Lois well. We need to do some things about that. We'll talk about that and make some decisions. We need to talk about our process for moving forward to identify the next man God has for us to be our senior pastor, we'll have to get that process in motion. Some of you may wonder if that's gonna be Pastor Jordan, and I would say to you, I don't know, maybe, if he's interested, if God makes that clear. But whatever we do, we're gonna go through a process of allowing God to show us. So we'll see where God takes us in that. I can tell you, all of us, I'm sure you and all of the elders, hold our pastor, our youth and family pastor, in high regard. You've already stepped up. So I would ask you for your prayers for us as leaders. They're very much appreciated, sincerely requested. Returning to the story. After that discussion of daylight and night, Jesus told his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And they thought he meant, you know, natural sleep. And they thought that was good. But he finally said, Lazarus is dead. And he said, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. If he'd been there, he could have healed him. 
He wasn't there, why? So you may believe. That's a curious statement, so you may believe. Application number three. Didn't they already believe? Yes, but believing is a growing thing too. The more you know and see God and how trustworthy, kind, and good he is, the more your belief is strengthened. That was true for the disciples. It's true for us now. The more you know God, the more you know him, his character, all he does for you, the more you trust him and love him. Back to the story. Now Jesus is arriving at Bethany. He hears that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. I suspect he already knew that. John also tells us that when Jesus arrived, not only were Mary and Martha there grieving their brother's death, there were also many Jews, presumably friends and acquaintances. Jesus knew why he had delayed, but his delay was very frustrating for Mary and Martha, both of whom said to him upon meeting him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of like they were saying, why didn't you come and intervene? Application number four. We're often left with the same question. We're like Mary and Martha. We don't know the future. We don't know the final outcome that God will accomplish. So we can easily become frustrated, fearful, maybe even angry with God because he either does something we didn't want him to do or didn't do something he, we wanted him to do when he, we wanted him to do it. Pastor Ken's departure is difficult to absorb. It, it was and is shocking to us. It could cause us to question, why would God take him now? The lesson of John 11 is we need to remind ourselves that God makes no mistakes and ultimately his purposes will result in glory for God. Eventually, it'll be for our good too. In the immediate time and in the time we spend this life, as I said earlier, we may not know. But brothers and sisters in the Lord, God called Pastor Ken home because it was his time to go home to heaven. We didn't know it when Pastor Ken preached last Sunday that that would be his last sermon preached on earth. We didn't know he'd completed his journey. But Ken remained faithful to the Lord through some very hard times in his family's life, and he finished his course well. I can imagine, probably you can too, Jesus welcoming him into heaven with open arms and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Can't you imagine that? While it's good and right for us to mourn, Let's lean into our trust that God knows the what, the why, and the when, even when we don't. Let us affirm our faith 
and rest in his love for us, his children. I don't say this flippantly or casually. Most of us have been challenged during our lifetimes with facing tough losses that are hard to bear. Most recently before Ken's passing, our brother Keith and his family endured a similar devastating loss suddenly. So we trust in God's ultimate purposes. Back to the story. Martha came out and said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha responded, I know he rise the resurrection day. Then Jesus said these stunning words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, bodily death, will live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die, spiritual death. Do you believe this? He then asked Martha. We do right to ask ourselves that question. Do we believe this? Do we believe this? That when we know Jesus, we don't die. Our bodies do, but we live on. The scriptures tell us, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who said, remember me when you come into his kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Physical death is really just the separation of the body from the soul and the spirit, the soul that makes us who we are and the spirit that gives us life. So our physical death is not our death at all. It's just our body, which cannot inherit immortality, which is not suited for um, eternity to be laid aside. You know that. You believe that, don't you? So do I. Remind ourselves of this truth. That's why this talk was entitled, Believers Never Die. It's the truth of the gospel. Believe it with your whole heart. I have a younger sister. She's my baby sister. I'm the oldest of four. 79. If I make it April, I'll be 80. She's in her 70s, but she's still my baby sister. She lost her 33-year-old son to a three-year battle with cancer 12 years ago. And then she lost her husband to a sudden heart attack on Easter Sunday two years ago, 22. Both of them knew the Lord. Those are devastating losses. She's experienced the loss of long-term illness and the suddenness of a heart attack and death. She too is a strong believer. She clings to the truth of this passage. She's told us, Cheryl and me, several times, knowing that they're with the Lord and I will see them again sustains me in my hard time. This truth is for our good. Take hold of it for us now. Back to the passage. When Mary came out to see Jesus, 
She said the same thing Martha did, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. By the way, notice it says Mary went to see Jesus. The people with her thought she was going to the tomb. They got out to follow him. She went to see Jesus. Always a good thing to do that. Go to see Jesus. Go to be with him in his word. Meditate. Think. You have hardship. You have trouble. You have problems. Go to Jesus. Don't go other sources. Don't go to the bottle. Don't go to drugs. Don't go to the recommendations of non-believing psychiatrists. Go to believers. Go to the body. Go to the word of God. Go to him. Mary was mourning deeply, as you might expect, at the loss of her dear brother. What was response, Jesus' response to her sorrow? It says this in verse 33. Jesus saw them weeping, was deeply moved in spirit, and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They all said, come and see. Following that is the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. I was glad it was up there on the screen all by themselves. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? We're not told specifically why, but we can, we can kind of postulate a few things. I think he wept because they were weeping. His beloved friends were weeping. They were in sorrow, and it made him sad. And even though he knew he was going to bring him back to life in a few minutes, it made him sad to see their pain. He weeps with the Pierpont family. He weeps with our church family even now because he knows we're sad. He, it's, the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is a time that it's okay to weep because it's sad. But Jesus may also have wept because he saw the pain of death brought into the world by sin, something that was attached to the human race. From then on, sin brought death, and it is the thing that is that elephant in the room at all times. And he knows how hard it is, and he knew that he was going to experience it in the not very distant future. And there may be other reasons Maybe he thought about the consequences of those who don't. I want you to notice, this is application number eight, in case you're counting. Not once did Jesus scold or rebuke Martha and Mary and the other Jews who were mourning Lazarus' passing. He shared in their mourning, and then he did something about it. The climax of the chapter, of course, is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. What an incredible miracle. That brought glory to God, the Father, and brought Jesus' glory in front of his disciples and those who witnessed it. This is not in the passage we read, but what's so interesting and just shows the deceitfulness of the heart of man 
is that some of the people there saw that and they ran and told the Pharisees and the Pharisees were more determined to put him to death. Instead of saying, oh my word, we're wrong, he really is the Messiah, they did that. Credible. But Lazarus was raised to continue his life in that mortal body that would die again. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he rose into his glorified body, the immortal body that will never die, the body he still has in heaven this day, and the one that all we who are in him will also have the kind of body we will have, an immortal body, a body that's suited for eternity, a body that is immortal. That's the promise of the Bible. Do you believe it? Well, friends, that's application number nine. There's a little confusion. We're not told for sure in the scriptures when a believer dies, we know they go to be with the Lord. We also know that when Jesus returns to earth and in the second coming, there'll be a resurrection of the bodies that have died. And at that time, they'll be changed into their immortal bodies, and believers who are left on earth at that time will be changed instantaneously. It says in the twinkle of an eye, I figured out why it has to be in a twinkle of an eye for any who are living. If you're living when that happens, it's because if it didn't happen that fast, we'd die of fright. I don't know the answer. Some believe that there's a temporary body in heaven until we get our resurrected body. We're not told. We see some things darkly, through a glass darkly. So, brothers and sisters, let's mourn the passing of our dear Pastor Ken. Let's also encourage ourselves with the truth that those who put their faith in Jesus never really die. See Ken again? So the question becomes, is your faith in Jesus? Is that what you're resting on? This brings me to a conclusion. Say something funny here. I don't, not funny, different. I don't mean it in any wrong way. But I want you to remember, what are we going to do, Bethel, going forward? What we, I told you a little bit about that a little bit ago. Let me say a couple more things and I'm done. Remember this, as much as we loved Ken, this wasn't his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. Well, and except, except in this way, as part of the fellowship of this church, you can say it's right to say Bethel's my church. But we don't own the church. Jesus owns the church. He's the Lord of the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And there's a church being built around the world and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
We're just one little small outpost of that church here in Jackson, Michigan on Springport Road, a small gathering of believers in Jesus. But that doesn't make us inconsequential. We're part of the body of Christ. We have a job to do. What is that job? Well, that job is to keep on doing what we're called to do, be the church. What are we going to do going forward? We're going to keep being God, the church of Jesus Christ. What are we going to, how are we going to do that? We're going to keep on following him by obeying the commands of, of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. We're going to keep on helping other people to know and follow Jesus, like Ken preached and teached, taught all the time, and he modeled it very well for us. We're going to keep on gathering to worship, to pray, and to fellowship. We're going to keep on doing plig. What an awkward acronym that is. But here's what it means, right? We're going to keep on praying for others, loving other people, inviting them here or wherever to where they heal the gospel, and having gospel conversations as God allows us to do it. That's what we're going to keep on doing. We're going to keep on doing what we're supposed to be doing. And in God's time, he'll bring us our next senior pastor. Be patient with us, the elders and leaders, as we do what's coming in the next days. We will be meeting and God helping us to give us discernment and wisdom making decisions. I'll do my best, we'll do our best to keep you informed. We'll do our best. But I want to tell you, dear Bethel family members, while we mourn the loss of our pastor, we cannot, we must not, we will not lose hope of the perspective and primary purpose of following Jesus, 